morning. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, don't let Bryce scare you. Um, but I also didn't need that. So, <laughs> um, Hey, last week, Bryce got to have an incredible message. I'm pretty sure it was last week, right? About just, uh, they're all incredible. Um, that is true. <laughs> Ooh, hot. Um, about setting expectations, healthy expectations, and laying aside things that don't really matter, traditions. Um, and I'm going to talk a little bit today um, about how we should all just be happy. And I'm completely kidding. I'm, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, today I'm going to talk about Advent. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about Advent is because um, it's something that I have grown to learn to love. Um, I'm not a big fan of Christmas. Christmas was always a complicated, messy time in uh, my childhood. There was, I was always disappointed when my family didn't have enough money. I was disappointed when my family got angry because we had enough money and we weren't happy. It was just, it was a complicated time. Um, and I remember when Bree and I got married, um, we really wanted to start to reframe what Christmas looked like for our family, especially when we started to have kids. And um, I started to learn about Advent and changing the, the mind frame of not just a season of getting gifts, but a season of looking at Jesus as more than just a baby in a manger. But a season of looking at that and how God's faithfulness leads us to the expectation of how Jesus will one day return and be the ultimate gift of transforming this earth. And that blew my mind. The boringness of Jesus as a baby, I was like, wonderful, that's so cool. I'll, I'll celebrate a day with that. To this season that became, wow, I want, I want to look and meditate on who Jesus is in a manger because I know one day he will return as a king triumphant. And I think that is, that is a reason to reframe our perspective on why we even approach December 25th. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about hope. And the Bible Project, I've told you all about the Bible Project a lot. They have an incredible video on hope. And so could you play that? It should be like four minutes long.
awesome. I love that video. Um, I love that video, especially as we walk into Christmas, <clears throat> because we're, we're sold happiness at such a low standard, and what Jesus offers us is such a high standard of, of our faith in him. <clears throat> I was going to actually have kids come up here and do a, like a tug of war, you know, so you could see like the tension of the rope, and then I didn't... I didn't want to embarrass myself by being beat by a bunch of kids, so I kind of cut that out. So hopefully that gave you a good picture of the tension that we should be living in. It's okay for Christmas time to be hard. It's okay to feel that pain. It's okay that hope, yahal, is the foundation of what the church should be living into this season. And so I want to, um, to talk a little bit about Jesus' birth. Actually, could you go to the next slide, the hope? I have this quote that I found, and it says this. It's the foundation for prophetic imagination and for spiritual formation in the kingdom of God. What we hope for on Christmas. I I had a conversation, Brie and I had a conversation um, two nights, no, last night, with Braven about what he wanted for Christmas. And man, he could not get it out of his mind that he wanted gifts. And we're like, Brielle could understand. She wants to share some gifts with people. Braven wanted to like share his gifts with other kids. And we're like, we're, we're really trying to instill this in our family. Um, but it's a prophetic imagination for spiritual formation for the kingdom of God. I want you all to just think about that. I, I wanna just invite you to think about what that possibility may look like in your family. And as we go through the sermon together. so. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today. If you have your Bible, you can turn open to the Gospel of Luke. Um, It's not going to be chapter 2, though. We're going to go to a weird, unexpected place. We're going to Luke 4. And I'm going to read this to you all. Uh, If you have your Bible, you can read along. And I'm going to give you a minute afterwards to kind of turn to someone close to you and maybe just talk a little bit um, about what you see in here. But it says this. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. And so the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. But Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And if you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to to the test. And so when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I want you to just turn to someone close to you and for a minute, just talk about what you see in this, what you think you see. Um, And I want to give you a little hint. It has to do with the Exodus. All right, go. Now it's going to be a little confusing.
give you like 15 more seconds. All right, let's come back together. So I, as soon as I said that, everyone was kind of like, what? This, what are you talking about? And that's okay. I think when most of us look at this story, it, it's, it's good to look at this as a story of temptation, right? Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And we often look at this as Satan knows scripture, like guard yourself, be careful. But what does this have to do with Christmas? Like, why are we talking about this a few weeks before Christmas? I love this story. Um, I, was, I was reading it and talking um, with somebody about this specific story, and it, it kind of dawned on us that this story is here for a reason. It's right after Jesus' birth. Um, it's right after Jesus starts his ministry. Jesus is just baptized in the Jordan River, in which Jordan is the river that the Israelites crossed into to get to the Promised Land. And I want us to walk through this, because I think it's absolutely fascinating. I'm a nerd, and I, so I think this is really cool. So check this out. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. I want to let you know, this wasn't like a Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. He's skipping into the desert because he knows he's about to be tempted and he's going to conquer everything. No, he knows this is going to be difficult. This is going to be an incredible, difficult time. But Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and he returned from the Jordan, led by the Spirit into the desert. I just want to let you know this story, those are specific key words that are going to bring us insight into the fact that Jesus is about to retrace Israel's absolute and complete failure in the wilderness. In this story, we are going to see as Jesus rewrites the failure of God's people and walk out on the other side conquering, and it is going to be beautiful. So check this out with me. <clears throat> he crosses from the Jordan. He is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. 40 days. Does anyone remember about 40 days in the desert? 40 years. And in, in fact, in Deuteronomy, God says um, it was 40 days, one day, I'm sorry, one year for every day you were rebellious. And so they were in exile for one day, I'm sorry, one year for every day, 40 years. It says they ate nothing during the, that day. Sorry, Jesus, he ate nothing during those days, and at the end he was hungry. Do you remember a time when Israel was really hungry? Um, and what, it, what was their response to God? They asked for manna, and were they like, hey God, could we please have some food? They whined like a bunch of babies. It was more than that. They complained. They were angry at God. In fact, they said, hey, it would have been better if we were back in Egypt, why the heck did you bring us here, God? And yet Jesus is hungry just like them, and look at his response. So the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Satan is providing Jesus a way for a meal because he's hungry. And check out what Jesus does. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. You see, while Israel screamed at God, why won't you provide something? Jesus passed the test. He was able to look at hunger and say, ah, God will provide. 
in the face of doubt, of hurt, of hungriness. I mean, this is Jesus. He, he was still a man. <laughs> 40 days of hunger, I would be pretty frustrated and want some food too. Yet Jesus, is choos- Jesus chooses to remain faithful to God. It goes on. And it says this. The devil then led him up to a high place. Do you remember anyone going up to a high place? Moses, yes. And showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. And do you remember what happened on that that mountain? Right after God gives Moses the commands of how to follow him and how to be their people. Moses comes down, and what does he find? Yeah, Israel worshiping a God that they created. And what is Satan's temptation to Jesus? Hey, just, if you just worship me, it will all be yours. And so Jesus answers him, it is written, worship the Lord your God only and serve him. Jesus rewrites, reconquers the story of absolute failure. And check it out, it continues. And this, I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus is doing it. There's supposed to be this hope and anticipation in this story of, could this really be the Messiah? Is, is he actually fulfilling the things that humanity could not fulfill? And so the devil led him to Jerusalem, the promised land that Moses couldn't get to because of his rebellion, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, Satan knows scripture. It is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. I love this in Deuteronomy. It says this about that whole experience. And so he called this place Massah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? This place that Israel failed was called the place of testing. And what was the thing they couldn't wrap their mind around? Is God with us or not? An 11-day journey into the wilderness, it was supposed to be 11 days. I mean, that's how long it takes. It turned into 40 years of wandering, of death, of exile, curses. And what they were left with the question of, is God really with us? And I think that's an important question for us to ask. Is the Lord with us? Are we even honest enough to ask that question? Do we acknowledge the hurt that's in our lives? Because we know the answer, yes, God, Emmanuel, he's with us, blah, 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 blah. And I don't mean to be sarcastic about that. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head against my bed and I go to sleep and 
I'm angry and I'm tired and I'm confused because this world is so broken and there's so much chaos and hurt and it, there's things in people's lives that I wish I could control. Does it really feel like God is with us? Man. And yet Jesus was able to go through all of this knowing, knowing that he was here as the Messiah. He was here to rewrite the history of failure of the human race. And I think that is incredible. I think this story is so much more than just temptation. I think it is an invitation for us to recognize that God is with us. And more so than that, Jesus is able to not only be with us, but to conquer the pain in our lives that we aren't always able to conquer. There's a story I wanted to share with you. Could you throw the slide up of the football stadium? Man, I, I played football. Bryce probably knows the stadium well. Um, it's North Canton Hoover High School. Yeah, um, we, Bryce and I, we, we didn't play each other, but our high schools did, and Kim, wherever she's at. Um, I didn't play football. Well, obviously. Did you drum? Drum line? Yeah. Sure. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I, I love playing football. Football was a big deal in North Canton, in, in Northeast Ohio. The, Ten minutes from us was the Football Hall of Fame, right? Um, and it was our senior year. We had Mr. Ohio on our team. He was a running back, um, deemed Mr. Ohio two years in a row. Um, we had just made it to the Final Four the last year, and this year we had quite a bit of disappointment. It was hard to see some hope. We had just lost a game, um, which was horrible, and we were like, it was high school, okay? It was all I cared about. I was a football player. Um, and we were playing this team called McKinley. All right, and so it was halftime, and it was 34 to nothing, them. <laughs> and as high school guys, we're like, we're done, this sucks, we all want to quit. Our stadium holds about 6,200 people, 6,300 people. It's a big stadium, and it's usually packed. And I remember walking in at halftime and just watching people file out, like just watching people leave. And it was like, oh, there's no way, there's no way. Uh, and so we got into the, the football stadium uh, locker room, and like we're seniors, we're trying to like build up some sort of hope. Um, but our hope was a little bit different than biblical hope. Like we were trying to see a way through, even though it might not have been there. The cool thing about this story, we, we came out of halftime, onside kick, we get it, we score. We're like, oh my gosh, this could turn around. Uh, we get another onside kick, we score. Uh, they get the ball, they fumble it, and we score. And it ends up becoming the largest uh, comeback in Stark County history. We won 38 to 34. It was like one of my highlights. And my grandpa had died that week. And so I got the game ball. This is, this is the game ball that we used. And it's really significant to me. I, I don't care about like high school football anymore. I know we have a football coach, sorry. But <laughs> uh, like, it, it was still a special time. Because it was like, man, this seems so hopeless. Just watching my friends walk out of the stadium, watching people walk out of the stadium. Um, and we ended up coming back. And there was that sense of feeling of like, man, how do we do this? That was, it was incredible. And the reason why I share that story is I don't know if any of you feel this way this year, or maybe just Christmas in general, where it just seems a little hopeless. It just seems like, man, I just want to get out of the stadium. This is really difficult. I want, you, I want to let you know it, it's okay to have those feelings. The reason we celebrate Advent 
The reason why we celebrate Christmas, it's not to escape those feelings. It's not to push them aside and, and think about Christmas gifts and what could be. It's to hold in tension the fact that this hurts, but God is still good. This hurts so bad. This is not ideal. But we can look back on God's promises, his faithfulness and his goodness, and know that he has a plan forward. And it is our job as Christians to look each other in the eye and tell each other, we have a hope. And it might not be in Christmas gifts. It might, might not be this year. We might not even see it. But we have a hope of Jesus and his return. There's three things I want to share with you all. <clears throat> um, and there's this quote that I saw by Dallas Willard, if you can throw it up there. It says, it might be that. I might have already said that. That's okay. Um, anyway, go to Romans 15, 13, if you can. There was mess up on slides. I didn't get them in on time. It's okay. Um, I think the three most important things that I've learned from Advent. <clears throat> is that number one, am I willing to trust in the process of God rewriting the story of my life and this world's life? Because it is a process. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our, our joy and our peace, it's not supposed to come from songs and candy and Christmas gifts. I mean, all that stuff is great. We watched, <laughs> we watched um, a story. What, what movie was that last night, Brie? A Santa Claus, yeah, with Brielle. And she's watching it, and um, she's watching as, um, oh my gosh, the main character. Be what is it? Scott. Scott. Yeah, the main character, he becomes Santa Claus, and Brielle looks at Brielle, or Brie, and she's like, he's becoming Santa Claus. <laughs> it was this cute little realization that, oh my gosh, that could be incredible. And while it's, it's so sweet and adorable, moments like that, they fail. They don't last forever. And so what is our hope in? Romans 15 says, God fills us with hope. It's through his joy and his peace. But here's the thing, as you trust in him, are we willing to trust that Jesus is in control even when it doesn't seem like he is? This is the challenge of every believer that to be filled with joy, with hope, with peace, as we trust in him. You see, our hope and our peace, it is directly linked to our trust and our faith in Jesus. It is directly linked. The second is this, is that we are called to live in attention. Did you throw up those next two verses? This, these are verses that I've been meditating on. Um, it's Luke 2:22 and also Mark 15:43. And I just want you to think about this. This is a part of God's plan. Luke 2:22, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem 
to present him to the Lord. Joseph and Mary, I'm sure they were so excited to finally present their son that angels had showed up for to tell him that something great is going to happen. They present him at the temple. And then we see Mark 15, 43. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. At the front end, we see, oh my gosh, this presentation of Jesus' body, and there's so much hope, and it could be so beautiful, and it could be so wonderful. That is what Christmas is about. But on the other end, we also see and acknowledge that it is messy. God's plan is hard. It required the death of his only son. And we see Joseph going to the same place to ask for the body of a dead man. Our hope is held in tension. Our hope is held in tension. That God is good and there is miraculous fun and joy and peace to be had this Christmas season. But I want to let you know it is okay to be on either side of the spectrum. To approach Christmas with joy and glee, worshiping and praising the Son of God. But if you're expecting also the kingdom of God and you're just seeing this bleak darkness as you feel like you're just carrying the weight of a dead body, that is okay too. But our hope is rooted that Jesus will one day return. He will make all things right. It is a wide spectrum of brokenness and beauty and hurt and pain, of joy and laughter and so much. And we often can't control those emotions. What we can control is where is our hope? Where is our hope? And the third is this. Actually, could you throw the, the next slide up? Um, I had the, this thought that biblical hope is inseparable, therefore, from faith in God. If we really want to embrace our culture and our world and our family with actual true hope, we have to do it in the context of our faith in Jesus. 100% necessary. Any other hope outside of that is not true hope. It is wishful thinking. And so the, the last one is this. That Jesus himself is our living hope. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, praise be to God. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who changed everything. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Like, God changed everything. Not only did Jesus go back and rewrite the brokenness of humanity in that desert, but through his death on the cross and the resurrection, he gave us an inheritance, a new living hope. And it says this after that. By, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, and it can never fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Advent is about knowing this. I mean, fully knowing this. 
that we have an inheritance that can never spoil or perish or fade. Christmas gifts will go by. Terrible meals with family will go by. Great meals with family will pass by. Christmas traditions will be great and will be terrible and everything in between. But the beauty of Christmas, the real reason why we sit and why we contemplate the tension of beauty and hurt, the real reason is because what God has provided it will never perish, it will never spoil, and it will never fade. Look at your life, and there are so many things I put my hope in. Our, our car died like three weeks ago, and it, was, uh, it had like 270,000 miles. It was totally expected, but it was still like that, oh, no, not Ruby, we called it Ruby. Uh, <laughs> it, she was beautiful, um, but... <laughs> It was so rusted and decrepit that it, if we got into a wreck, it would fall off from the frame. Like, it was completely rusted. It was something that it's not worth putting my hope in, yet I was still so wanting to drive it the next day, you know? But that's just, that's who we are as people. We look at beautiful things that have meaning to us, and that's okay. But every day I woke up, my hope was not in Ruby. It was not in that beautiful old Honda Pilot. But Christmas time, it's often sold as a time to find value and things and giving gifts to people, which is good. But our value and our hope cannot be rooted in those things. The inheritance that we have as Christians, as people who have put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. It is an inheritance, man, but it's kept in heaven. Like we are waiting, Lord Jesus, please come. Because things are hard. We're constantly, I mean, we are surrounded by everything that perishes, spoils, and fades. And I think in this time, Jesus is inviting us to remember what real hope is what a real Christmas is based in. It's not just stories of baby Jesus, while that is great. It's not just Christmas caroling, while that can be good too. It is holding the tension that God came to earth and created a way for us to be in a relationship with him. But also holding within the other hand that he's not yet returned. And it's really hard. We experience depression and hurt and brokenness at a daily time. But we hold that tension because we know and acknowledge that one day he will return. And if we don't know that, I'm telling you, our hope is in something that will perish and fade. I want to challenge you this Christmas season as you look at those Christmas trees, as you talk about stories of baby Jesus, don't just end it at baby Jesus. I missed the point as a child, as I think so many of us do. I saw baby Jesus and Christmas gifts, and no one ever connected the story that we celebrate that. We celebrate baby Jesus because we know the end of the story. And that is what 
Advent is about. That is what a Christmas season is about. It is we can celebrate because of the hope of a kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. That we are shielded by God's power because he truly is the conquering king, yet we wait. We wait. And we wait. Come, Lord Jesus. I just want to end on this final note that God truly is inviting us into a kingdom. Like he invites you into a kingdom. Now, I want you to contemplate that, like genuinely. Are you a part of that kingdom? Are you a part of this hope? Don't miss an invitation with the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, God in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. Don't miss that this Christmas season. Don't miss it. All the presence in the world will never fill the gap in our hearts that were created for a relationship with the Lord. Enjoy this Christmas season. Enjoy time with family. At least try to. (laughs) But know and acknowledge each morning the kingdom Jesus calls us to is so much more. It's so much better. And it will never fail you. And that is what we put our hope in. That is the word kahal. It's beautiful. Um, I think those words are words that I needed to hear myself. Are we willing to take time of silence? And know, despite all the emotions, the hurt, the crappy weeks, the crappy weeks that you're going into, maybe the great weeks, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, um, but that there's real hope. And we need to offer it to each other. Thank you if you've been a part of offering that hope to me. Thank you last week for offering hope to other people through hugs, through times of sharing. This world needs it because I know that I need it. Let me pray. God, I I do pray that we celebrate Christmas. I, I pray that we celebrate it well. Lord, I pray we celebrate it better than anyone else in our neighborhoods, anyone else in our families, anyone else um, that we know that we walk into this Christmas season with joy, but joy that's not rooted in eggnog or Christmas gifts or carols. While while all of that is incredible and good, man, I, I pray that we know and we walk into this Christmas season with a true hope that is based in you. That is what this world needs to hear. And I think at the end of the day, if we're honest, if we're asking those questions as we are wandering through the wilderness, Jesus, that you conquered, as we ask those difficult questions of, man, God, are you really with us? Because it doesn't feel like it. We look back to your faithfulness and we know that you will be faithful now and you will be faithful forevermore. 
when we don't feel the promise that you are with us, God. We can trust that you are good. I pray that we would lean into our families. We would lean into, God, your kingdom that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Lord, and I just thank you. Um, I thank you for these people and for this time. God, we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.